Welcome to today's broadcast of Front Porch Talks. I'm Grayson Willis. Thanks for tuning in. And today I'm joined by my Uncle Stephen Willis via the phone. Uncle Stephen, how are you doing today? I'm doing awesome, Grayson. I'm blessed to have the opportunity to be with you and on the front porch. And uh, my Uncle Stephen is here to share his testimony with us today. Um, let me start out by saying my Uncle Stephen is uh, the lead pastor of the Lynchburg First Church of the Nazarene in Lynchburg, Virginia. Uncle Stephen, just start out telling us about where you're from and about how you grew up. Yeah, thank you, Grayson. Uh, well, I grew up on the Outer Banks of North Carolina. Uh, I was the youngest of uh, three boys, um, Carrie, my oldest brother, which is Grayson's dad, and Bill, my middle brother, who is uh, a pastor in Tennessee. And so I grew up to Billy and Melba Willis and uh, in a fishing community, and uh, it was a wonderful, wonderful childhood filled with the presence of God because I had the benefit of living in a very, very godly home to a dad who loved God with all his heart and spent most of his life working really hard and a mom who was um, sold out and surrendered to God who was who spent most of her life as a homemaker um, raising kids and, and uh, keeping us out of the woods. Well, Uncle Stephen, thank you for sharing that. Tell us about what life was like as the youngest of three boys growing up on the coast of North Carolina with a fisherman father and a mother and father both who loved Jesus and raised you in a Christian home. Yeah, it was a it was a blessed life. Um, you know, even you know during my childhood, um, in many ways, my dad was a godly man, but uh, because he was desperate kind of to feed the family, um, he was absent a lot from my life. And I think being the youngest of three boys, there were definitely uh, large seasons of my life where I think having two older brothers was very beneficial um, because in many ways they loved on me and definitely uh, picked up uh, the slack in those areas when my dad wasn't able to be there. And it was a, it was a very stable family. Um, you know, we grew up in the church. You know, I look back now and realize that the church that I grew up in was far from perfect. It, uh, it had a lot of problems and issues like a lot of churches do. Um, but my mom and dad um, never spoke about it at the house. Um, many of the issues that maybe the church faced was not something of conversation in our home because I think uh, my mom and dad ultimately had their eyes on Jesus more than they did on the failures of the local ministry and I think that benefited me and it benefited my brothers in many ways and so I, I remember uh, a life uh, filled with joy I spent a lot of time in the yard and neighborhood playing basketball during basketball season baseball during baseball season and football during football season and um, eventually that would translate into the middle school and, and into the high school where uh, sports was a major part of my life and um, obviously, we never went to bed on Saturday night wondering whether or not we were going to go to church on Sunday. That wasn't a question that we ever asked. On Sunday morning, um, my mom would rise really early in the morning and start the preparations for Sunday lunch, and she'd get all of it together. And uh, then we'd all get ready for church and go to church and worship the Lord every Sunday. And then we'd be, we'd be back at the old home place to share a, a family lunch. And those were Definitely some great memories and some great times. Um, one of the other memories that I have as a kid, it seemed like that every spring and fall, we would have a revival service. And um, 
it was during these weeks of revival that often mom and dad would make an effort to have the visiting evangelist um, into our house. And so down through the years, I remember uh, many occasions where the traveling evangelist would uh, end a Sunday afternoon or even maybe a weeknight uh, eating with us and um, talking the things of God. And so uh, definitely was taught a lot about the gospel, um, but also I was able to catch um, a lot of the gospel, too, by having my mom and dad who lived out what it meant to live a life that pleases God in front of me. Well, Uncle Stephen, thank you for sharing that. And you mentioned not only did uh, your mom and dad um, take you to church and uh, live the life at home and that it wasn't just taught, but it was caught. So at what age did you uh, make that commitment for yourself, like the personal decision to accept Christ in your life? Yeah, it was definitely um, in the season of my life, when I think about spiritual things, I think there were seasons of great spiritual growth in my life and that there were also seasons of rebellion, honestly. Um, As a small boy, I remember um, um, in December of 1984 is my first real recollection. I'm sure there were other times before, but in December of 1984, I remember coming forward uh, at a revival service and accepting Jesus as my Savior. I was 11 then, and I know that there were other times that I probably came forward before then to, to pray, but that's my biggest recollection of that. And so I, I was raised in the church and, you know, learned a lot about the church. And, and so from a, from a small boy all the way up into my teenage years, you know, I served the Lord with a lot of significant success when it relates to being near the Lord and also failures. And and then deep into my teenage years, um, there was a slow fade is the best way I can explain it. There was a season in my life where I didn't fan the flame. I didn't um, tan the ember of my soul. And as do a lot of teenagers, 17, 18 years old, I really went into what I would say a full rebellion against God and um, really just kind of turned my back from the Lord and things of God. I still tried to be a good son. You know, um, I went off to college, and so whenever I was home on the weekend, certainly I would go to church with mom and dad and honor them and, and kind of played a part, but I knew that I was a long way away from where God wanted me to be. And so it was during those years that now I look back on and have sizable regret for some of the things that I did and also sizable regret for some of the things that I didn't do that that God was calling me to do. But the testimony of who my mom and dad was remained true. Um, My brothers also were serving the Lord. And it was during those years of being a prodigal son and running from God that I know beyond a shadow of a doubt that I had a praying mom and praying dad and praying grandmother, praying brothers. And it wasn't until I got to the end of myself, um, really in my early 20s, that I really came to a place of total surrender. It was during those teenage years at the age of about 14 years old where I was really involved in the local church that I, for the first time, felt a um, a call from God to enter pastoral ministry. I felt like that God had placed a call on my life as a 14-year-old kid um, in, in 1986 at an event in Urbana, Illinois. Um, I felt like God had called me to ministry. But at that time, I, I didn't want to be a pastor. Uh, I had already desire, determined that I was going to be a 
a professional athlete or a coach or something in sports. And um, I graduated from college and had that opportunity to be a high school coach, but uh, none of that brought me any satisfaction. And so in my early 20s, um, in, in my place of rebellion, the Lord got me to a place where I realized that I was really just desperate without him. And um, I was a shell of the person that God wanted me to be. And so in a dark basement apartment, um, one night I got on my face before the Lord, and I was determined that I wasn't going to get off that floor until God had changed me. And um, I've testified often that that night as I laid in that dark basement floor uh, in Burlington, North Carolina, that God came. And um, the best way I can explain it is it was almost like the Lord dumped a bucket of cold water down my back. Uh, it, was, it was like an ice bucket. And um, late into the night, I climbed into bed and slept really well that night. And the next morning when I got up, I knew that God had transformed me. None of the circumstances of my life had changed. Things were still the same as far as the circumstances of my life. But I knew that there was an inward change. And it was from there that I began down the road um, seeking the Lord. And when you go through a season of that, when God really gets a hold of your heart, then you begin asking the question, well, what next, God? Well, you know, what next? And it was during that time that the Lord reminded me of the call that he placed on my heart at the age of 14. And I knew that if I was serious about living for Christ, if I was um, serious about being surrendered to the Lord, then it was time for me to stop running. And so it was at that point that I began to pray that the Lord would open doors for me. At that time, I was a high school history teacher and basketball and tennis coach in the inner city of Burlington, North Carolina, and, and uh, but I knew that maybe the Lord was going to lead me into full-time Christian service, and um, it, it was probably less than a month later, I met a young girl by the name of Lisa Cox at the a local Baptist church, and um, that was on a Sunday night, and little did I know that night that I had, it was meeting my wife, and the Lord began to put pieces together, and it wasn't long after that, just months later, um, that a door opened up for me to transition out of the public school system into a youth pastor position in Waynesboro, Virginia. And so um, that door opened, and Lisa and I walked through that as a young married couple and spent three years there as a youth pastor and enjoying the early stages of my ministry. And then after three years, um, the door opened uh, here in Lynchburg for, for the lead pastor position here at LFCN. And, and in August of 2001, Lisa and I answered a call to be the lead pastor here, and it's, uh, it's been 18 great years. Well, Uncle Stephen, thank you for sharing that. And uh, certainly uh, God did a transformation. Like you said, when you were in that apartment and you said you weren't going to get up until the Lord changed you, that after that night you were changed inwardly. Nothing on the outside changed, but you were changed inwardly, and then uh, you began the process of pursuing what God had for you in ministry. So uh, anything along the way that you would like to share, maybe what you're most grateful for, what surrender looks like, surrendering, you know, your will of wanting to be a high school coach and teacher for the will of God and serving him in full-time ministry? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. You know, I think that the the thing that I, I years ago when social media came out as on one of my social media accounts, I just simply you know there's a little space there to define yourself or 
to say something about yourself. And, and in it, I, I just simply put, his presence is my greatest possession. That really defines my life spiritually. The older I get, the more I realize just how desperate I am for him and his presence. And so his presence being manifested in me in increasing measure, really the only um, thing that I can do is willingly surrender to his will and his way. And, um, you know, in our denomination, we talk about sanctification, and we talk about it as it being both a a one-time thing and an all-time thing. Um, There's a point of a crisis moment where we realize that if we've got all of God, then he needs all of us. So we surrender ourselves at that point, you know, surrender our lives, surrender who we are. But surrender also is something that takes place every day. It's um, it's something that is also progressive um, because I understand that today I have to live surrendered. Uh, I started something uh, years ago that I do every day. Before I ever climb out of bed in the morning, I'll just simply take my hand and I'll place it on my heart and I'll just simply say, Christ, you are welcomed in this place. And uh, I do it every day. Um, I, I don't often forget. And um, it's this idea that that I want my heart to be his home, and I want to live surrendered. And the reason why I want to live surrendered is because I realize that really his presence is my greatest possession. And 18 years in here at LFCN, I realize more today than ever that that's about the only thing I've got going for me. It's the thing that defines my life. It's the thing that defines my family. It's the thing that defines my ministry. And um, these are things that I've tried to not only talk about, but to live out in my life. And I'm grateful that during this season of my life, I have a wife who is a middle school English teacher who loves God with all of her heart and sees it as a ministry. I've got three sons uh, right now, 19, 17, and 14. And um, they have a position of their heart being toward God and and desiring to please him. And I'm surrounded by uh, ministry staff here at LFCN who loves the Lord as well. And so I've often told my boys and told those around me that when you sow wheat, you're going to reap wheat. When you plant watermelon, you're going to get watermelon. And for me, I want to plant his goodness. I want my heart to be a piece of property, um, soil, so it may be that his presence can grow with increasing measure in me. And this is not something that I've arrived at. Uh, It's not something that in any way have I perfected, but it's my desire that with increasing measure as I get older, um, that his Holy Spirit would be the greatest characteristic of my life. And uh, I think the Lord's brought me a long way, but he's uh, he's still working on me. Amen, Uncle Stephen. Uh, Thank you for sharing that. That's a good word. And, uh, as you were talking and um, about how the Lord used you in ministry and those around you, I was thinking you were talking about how you had a call to ministry and initially you did what you wanted, but then once you surrendered to God, what that looked like and then how you pursued him. If there's somebody listening to your testimony and maybe they're struggling with a call to ministry um, and don't know how to answer that, what would your advice be to them since you've been through that? Yeah, I have a couple of things to say about it, actually. You know, the call of God on our lives, uh, 
I have a friend of mine that's a missionary in Brazil, and he's telling me the story that he had this one particular lady who owned a restaurant in San Paulo where he was a, a missionary and pastor. And my friend told me that it was his desire to recruit her to come work for him at the church because she was a very outgoing woman who really loved God and was on fire for God. And he said, you know, we could really use somebody like that around here. And so he approached her about opportunity to come to work at the church. And she said to him, you do not need to recruit me. I need to recruit you. She said, because I have a ministry already that's full time. She said, as a restaurant owner, my restaurant is in a neighborhood that has a large number of Jewish people. And she said, I have a large number of Jewish people who visit my restaurant. What I want you to do, Pastor, is I want you to start coming to my restaurant on a regular basis. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to provide free food for these individuals, and I'm going to let them sit around and and talk to you about what faith is. And so that's my first part. Sometimes we think that moving out of the secular world into the church is more spiritual than vice versa, and that's not necessarily the case. Because we've all been called, and we've got to understand that. I think we miss that. We've got to be called. You know, I I had to understand my call to ministry as a public school teacher and as a coach before I could ever understand it in the actual church itself. And so that would be my first thought there. But I do believe that there are some people who are called to full-time Christian service. And I guess the example that I would give you there is this. My last year of coaching basketball at Burlington Cummings High School, the basketball team that I coached that, that year, we finished 13-1 and in the conference, and we won the conference championship. And not long after the season was over, the athletic director came to my room uh, at the end of the day, and he put the trophy we had won on the desk, and he said something like this. He said, I thought maybe I'd bring you the trophy and give it to you before it got lost, because I know it means more to you than it means to anybody else. And the Holy Spirit really used that interaction with the athletic director. He wasn't trying to be mean. He was actually trying to be nice. But nobody else cared about that trophy. Uh, That school had many, many trophy cases full of trophies that were collecting dust. And I felt like the Spirit said to me, you know, are you you just going to spend the rest of your life trying to collect trophies that aren't even real gold that are made of plastic? Or are you going to do what I've called you to do? And that, for me, was a real telltale sign for me um, that I really needed to switch seats. And so I would say to anyone listening, we've all been called to ministry. Ephesians 4.1 tells us that, that we've all been called. Um, And I think the, the most important part is whatever we're called to, just say yes. Because your yes will not only benefit others, it'll benefit you. Because... That yes uh, will bring about true meaning in your life. And uh, it might be today, it might just be a yes to buy the person uh, at Chick-fil-A's meal that's behind you. Or maybe it's a call to Bible college or a call to teach a Sunday school class or a call to serve in some other setting. The, The bottom line is recognize his presence matters most. His presence is my greatest possession. And then upon discovering that, Um, be listening for the still small voice uh, to lead you and to guide you. And when you hear it, say yes with reckless abandonment because I can guarantee you that whatever he's calling you to, it's best. 
Amen. Uh, thank you for sharing that, Uncle Stephen. And as you were sharing that first example, I was thinking about my own life in uh, college where uh, I wanted to make sure I kind of left the door open if God were to call me into ministry. And freshman year uh, during our fundraiser for the radio station on campus, I felt like the Lord telling me that that was ministry. So certainly we're all called to ministry in one way or another, whether it be outside the church or in the church, wherever we're at. But also, uh, sometimes he does call people to um, ministry inside the church. So whatever he's calling us to, we do need to obey that and listen to his call. So thank you for sharing that with us. And uh, just as you uh, pastor a church and lead a family and uh, are a Christian example in the Lynchburg community. Just uh, what else would you like to share today, you know, that has been impactful in your life or has meant a lot in your life? Yeah, well, I, you know, I think your dad, um, not too long ago, he wrote a book about the power of relationships. And I, you know, one of the great joys of me being on this program is just the opportunity that I have to reconnect with you, Grayson, and, and the work that you're doing um, for the ministry. And I, I think that with that, I say to, to the thing that's really been on the forefront of my mind um, recently is really understanding the power and the wealth of the relationships that we have. Um I caught myself telling somebody the other day that I think the true wealth of an individual is based on those healthy uh, Christ-centered relationships that we have and that we um, pursue, that there are so many people that God has placed in my life um, that I call friends and that I call brothers. Um, and that's the true wealth of an individual's life. And I think that when we look at ministry and we look at life, I think we got to we got to understand that reality, that beyond anything God has called us to be or to do, he calls us to be. Um, we, we don't need to forget we're not human doings. We're human beings. Right. And, uh, yeah, God does call us to do things. He calls us to be a part of his plan of redemption. Um, but before he'll call us to do anything, he wants us to be in him. And that goes, you know, I think that would be, the thing that I've been thinking about the most, that the greatest, my wealth is measured by the relationships that I have. It begins with my relationship with the Lord. I don't care how much money you have in the bank or the size of your 401k. If you don't have a personal relationship with the Lord, I feel sorry for you. And then out of that relationship with God comes the relationship with my spouse, the relationship that I have with my kids, the relationship that I have with my mom, my brothers, my nephew Grayson, the people within my fellowship. Um, those relationships matter the most. Today I just had lunch with a young couple um, that was at another church that I was the youth pastor at years ago. And they drove up from Waynesboro. And uh, I've been knowing them for 20-something years. And um, they provide great, great wealth to me uh, just for the opportunity to call them friends. Well, uh, thank you for sharing that, Uncle Stephen, and uh, just the way that God has answered prayer in your life or your family's life in the last year, the last couple years, or um, what you're most grateful to God in your life for. 
Yeah, I recently preached um, a message, and I won't preach it again today, but um, I talked about that the posture of prayer is the posture that leads to revival, and I I talked about the three things that I've been doing related to prayer, and the first one is the secret place. Um, It's that idea that before I see anybody else's face in the morning, I want to see the face of the Lord, and um, the secret place. Um, And in that secret place, I have a prayer journal that I, I go to often, and I've, I've started this new habit of um, a specific prayer request, being very, very specific in my request to God. Now, we don't just pray to God to get stuff. Um, we pray to know him. As a part of my secret place time, uh, he wants me to intercede. He wants me to intercede on behalf of those that I love and those that are around me. And so what I've been doing is I've been very, very specific in these prayer requests. And what I do about every six to seven days is I go back through the request and I highlight every request that he answers. And so I have this prayer journal now of many, many requests, many of which have been highlighted already. God's already answered, and some of which I'm still praying about. And so one is the secret place. The second part of having a posture of prayer in relationship to revival is that I understand the importance of praying continually. Uh, That's what we're instructed to do in Thessalonians and uh, this idea that we ought to rejoice always and pray continually. So when I'm driving down the road, when I'm getting up, when I'm laying down, when I'm enjoying a hobby, when I'm I'm sitting in a chair, when I'm running on a treadmill, God wants me to understand the importance of communion with him. And then the third part is praying together. Um, you know, it's no doubt that Luke in, in Acts chapter 1 specifically tells us everybody that was in the room when Pentecost happened, and it says that they were together, and he names them, and then it says they were all together, and what were they doing? They were praying. And so I think we as people need to pray together, not just in the secret place, not just praying when we're on the move, but praying together. We have about five opportunities a week here at LFCN where people can come and pray together. As husbands, we should be praying with our wives. As parents, we should be praying with our children. Maybe co-workers where the opportunity lends itself, praying with co-workers, and then also praying together corporately um, as a body of believers. Uh, Oswald Chambers says, prayer does not prepare us for the greater work. Prayer is the greater work. And in this season of longing for revival, um, I'm just hopeful that our postures will be such that we are prayerful people. Amen. Uh, Uncle Stephen, uh, thank you for sharing that all true and good words. And certainly prayer and our relationship with God uh, is the foundation of our lives and what is uh, most important. Just in closing, anything that I haven't asked you already or that you haven't shared already that you would like to share with us? I want to tell people I love you, but I know we're not supposed to make that personal. But um, I, I love you, brother, and I really appreciate you and I appreciate your prayers. Um, you know, you know, I think we could probably close today at the end with a prayer for any person who may be listening um, to this. That maybe not a single thing that I said today would benefit them or would teach them anything, but maybe just praying together would be the thing that would matter the most. And then I would encourage those who are listening, uh, as we pray for you, to pray for us. Uh, pray for the work here in Lynchburg. God is doing some pretty incredible things in our midst and uh, we are needy of him and also for the Harrisonburg Church for Pastor Adrian and for his team there at Harrisonburg and for the work of God may his kingdom come as will be done on earth as it is in heaven. 
Amen, Uncle Stephen. Uh, thank you for that, and thank you for joining me today. And I'll just close in prayer on that note. Uh, Lord, I thank you for today, and I thank you for this opportunity that I've had to hear uh, my Uncle Stephen's testimony, but not just his testimony, but your testimony through him, Lord. And I pray a blessing over him and his family, uh, over Aunt Lisa and Nick and Camden and Micah and over uh, the Lynchburg First Church of the Nazarene and the Lynchburg community. And uh, I also pray a blessing over those that will hear this broadcast in Harrisonburg and Rockingham County and on the Internet, Lord, on Front Porch Talks. And uh, I pray for those that are lost, particularly as Uncle Stephen mentioned, uh, that they will be touched by this testimony and uh, just hear how you've worked in my Uncle Stephen's life and how they can do that same work in their own life, Lord, if only they come to you and surrender their lives to you, Lord. So I uh, pray um, all this in your name. Amen. Uncle Stephen, thanks again for joining me today. It's been a pleasure talking with you. Hey, brother, I love you, and I appreciate you. We'll talk again soon. God bless all of you. Love you, too. Thank you for listening to today's broadcast of Front Porch Talks. I pray that today's broadcast has been a half hour of hope for your life. May God bless. Front Porch Talks is sponsored by Harrisonburg First Church of the Nazarene in partnership with Sunshine Ministries.